Hey, what's up? This is your girl, Taylor Wilde. Welcome back to Wild On, Season 3. The podcast where you get the insider's view of the weird, wonderful, wild world of wrestling. On Wednesdays. Today's guest is known as the Detroit Barbie. You may know her from the Florida independent wrestling scene or the cameo she has made on AEW. Ladies and gentlemen, my girl, Marina Tucker. So, you live in Florida? Yes, I do. Where are you? In Tampa? Yep, I'm in Tampa. I love it. Do you love it? Yes, absolutely. How long have you been there? So I've been in Florida now, holy cow, almost five years. For three of those years, I did live in Orlando. And at the moment, I did really like it. I lived right next to SeaWorld. And oh, cool. I'm like a theme park freak. So I went <laughs> like every humanly possible minute to a theme park I could. <laughs> and uh, But it just it got so expensive. Holy cow. And... Uh, just had a ton of friends at the t- moment that were living in downtown Tampa and it seemed more of like a, a younger like fun vibe and instead of just like being with tourists literally 24 7 it was impossible to make friends because like everyone's like yeah we're in town for a week I'm like okay I live here <laughs> so yeah no Tampa is so nice I lived in Tampa for a year deep south moved to Tampa originally right. before they moved to Orlando and uh, I like Tampa a lot. I like St. Petersburg better. Right. Um, less tourists rather, there, too. Less tourists. I'd rather be closer to the water, mm-hmm. more chill. Uh, but the one thing about Florida that blows my mind is how you can literally, you know, go a block this way and you're in multi-million dollar homes and you go a block this way and you're in a trailer park. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> how the dichotomy of the classes that's mind-blowing honestly right now with everybody trying to move here like to escape like the new england area or whatever during the pandemic uh i've talked to people like real estate agents i know and stuff and people say people are straight up paying like full cash for houses right now just to try to move to florida so the market around here right now is like if you're a real estate agent you're having a fun time but it's it's a lot you chose well yeah oh yeah and you're from detroit originally yeah absolutely Detroit girl, uh-huh. pride. A hundred pride I see in that. A hundred ten percent. Yeah, I grew up in a town six miles south of Detroit, eight miles from the bridge to Canada. So we're like we're like border sisters, like in a way, like that weird connection we have it, you know. Yep. And uh, yeah, my, both my parents are Detroit police officers. Get out. So I was raised in a, a very tough family, uh, but I was oh, very proud of the fact that you know they chose that as their career, and my mom is a legit badass. So she is. Definitely one of the reasons why I think I'm the way I am today. But, oh, yeah, I grew up there. I went to college on the west side of Michigan, which, for people that don't know, looks completely opposite than Detroit. (laughs) And that's the thing about Detroit. People just assume it's all eight mile. It's all dilapidated. And that is simply, it's like Florida. There's there's beautiful neighborhoods and then there's the hood. That's right. Yeah, my grandma grew up on the opposite side of eight mile. So when everyone thinks eight mile, they think, you know, in downtown but if you take eight mile all the way north, it's in yeah. a whole different area. And that's actually where my grandma grew up. So I've been oh, wow. on eight mile a lot in my life. And uh, yeah, the whole other side of the state, in fact, 
literally looks like that's why they shoot all the commercials like come visit our state but this side you know yeah (laughs) they shoot uh oh yeah all those pure michigan commercials is that's where i went to college on the west side so Mm. i got to see all the the beauty and i was like oh i don't remember any of this isn't that funny (laughs) that's interesting because it you know any major city you're gonna find that but it's totally what you've been exposed to oh yeah the media doesn't want to focus on the happy stuff Oh, no, it doesn't sell. <laughs> no, it does not sell. So I have to ask, you know, I'm a first responder myself. I'm a firefighter. Good for you. That's amazing. You go, girl. Thank you. But I, I find it very interesting that your parents were both police officers. Did they meet on the job? Or they did. did. They... Oh, yes. Very like, well, nowadays it's like totally commonplace because I think there's right. as many uh, police uh, male officers as there are female, whereas like the fire department is like, three percent female in all of north america which you know we're getting there we're yeah trying. oh no like when my parents met it was like the super early 90s and like you said like wow. back then there was like no women none no and uh my mom faced crazy amounts of you know sexism and stuff and they made it pretty clear like it wasn't her place to be there which i sure yeah. hope you're not running into anything like that but that would be a whole other podcast yeah i'll, I'll put it this way no matter what, if you're a lawyer or you're a doctor, any job that is historically male, you're always going to have, it's not even an ageist thing, but you're going to have men that make you feel less than. Mm. And it's usually because it's a reflection of how they feel about themselves. Because if you, they don't like women and you're a woman that can do the same job as them that makes them feel masculine, then they're going to take it out on you. Right. So I've been on the job just over six years now, and it's a learning curve. It's a fast learning curve. I knew what I was getting into, but, you know, being a wrestler and, you know, going through a sport where, you know, you're 20 to 1 kind of thing, the best fuck you I could come up with was being happy, having a laugh, and just enjoying the job and never letting them get to me. Right. Oh, my gosh. That Sometimes but, that's the know, hardest part, too. It is. You go home, you scream into your pillow, you talk to your friends, you talk to your family, but you don't you don't give them that satisfaction because they don't deserve mm-hmm. it. And a lot of them are the older generations. I feel like the younger generations, people my age, your age, they're coming up through the system. They're educated in life. So they know that men and women are essentially equal. And if anything else, we're a team. We work together to get the best product. But yeah, anyways, I, I don't want to make this about first responders <laughs> and male and female, but it's it, I find it so interesting because having both your parents on that job, you were raised with, you know, ext- that that's extremely, you know, that, that there's probably a lot of tough love because your mom was probably filling this role to do her job. And it was probably, you know, it can probably bled into her real life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they could never work on the same shift. Uh, because yeah. if something unfortunate were to happen, there'd be three orphan kid left, kids left behind, you know? Oh, I, so oh it, a lot of the times, you know, everyone always had to work a holiday. Uh, so yeah. my dad would always cover for my mom so my mom could be with us. Like every home Christmas video that we have, it's like my dad's in like full-blown winter leather, you know, because co- he was a motorcycle police officer. So he had oh, cool. the big leather boots and the jacket. And he's just sitting there on the couch just like five in the morning. <laughs> and he worked like back-to-back midnight shifts and he's like yeah open those presents guys like but that was just so (laughs) normal like radios always going off and you know anytime there's bad weather 
or any time like especially right now like halloween time in the north yeah. uh devil's night is the day before yeah. halloween and it's yeah. every first responders least favorite time because everyone goes out there and destroys people's property vandalizes yeah. stuff you know egg people's cars houses toilet paper but in the north that's so much more prevalent that's one thing i learned yeah. uh being in the south that halloween is not taken as serious i guess you should say which no, to me is sad because sure. i can see you girl like you love halloween <laughs> i love halloween halloween is the best time of year it's always been that yeah. to me and uh when i moved to the south I was just like, man, it's just kind of like another day for everybody. And I was like, that sucks. And it, it's the same going across the pond as well. Like I lived in England for a little bit and it is not a thing there. Like it's slowly kind of catching on to American culture, but it really is like a, a Midwest, a Northern, like North American thing, really. Right. <laughs> I want to say anything to keep warm and just drink. We're yeah. going to do it. We're going to do it hardcore because it's so cold out so true it's so true uh, it's funny you say that about devil's night because i feel that way as a first responder on every full moon it, like i don't even care about devil's night like i literally pick my schedule around full moons because people act crazy it's not the craziest thing it's the craziest thing like what it is now did you ever consider being a police officer yourself um no uh out of the i'm the youngest of three kids okay. and my parents said that out of the three i would be the worst one <laughs> Which is funny because me as a wrestler, I'm like really tough. I, you know, I don't mind. Like yeah. I get punched to the face. I get, you know, I'm very tough, but I'm also that person. Like if I get in your face and scream at you, I'll probably be like crying as I do it. Oh, <laughs> so emotional. So yeah, my parents are like, you are the last person to do it. And I, uh, I like, well, growing up with parents as cops and yeah. I worked in athletics my entire life and my college life and I cuss like a sailor. <laughs> so my parents are like, you, probably not you. Oh, <laughs> None so of us funny. did. None, no, no the three way. of us did not. Yeah. I thought maybe I could do like the FBI. Oh, cool. Because I thought no one would think I would be in the FBI right. and I you know miss congeniality and my mom was just like they just push a lot of paper you're gonna be bored out of your mind and I was like <laughs> oh it's not like the movies yeah just totally not Different. like the movies I know I was like I can't walk out like you know miss congeniality and hop on a plane and be in she's like no you're gonna push a lot of papers honey I was like Ugh. that sounds terrible I know I was just like who's gonna think me like five three blonde chick FBI <laughs> and she's just like you would hate your life I'm like oh. Yeah. I'll just go beat people up then instead. That's a hard part about being a cop is not only does everybody hate you, but you have so much paperwork to do. Oh so my much. God. Insane. My mom always used to tell me, um, cause they were in Detroit in the nineties, like full blown, like crack epidemic wow. was happening and they would run into all of these people naked <laughs> having episodes or, you know, my mom would straight up call an ambulance every time because she's like, I don't want to touch a naked guy fair and like yeah. which i know is horrible but she's like it's like negative 12 out this poor guy has no clothes on and my mom's like i'm just calling an ambulance. yeah <laughs> and what can a police officer do at that point they need medical mm -hmm. attention and like that yep. would be just putting your mother in a precarious position like i think she did that that is the right call i think honestly the stories that they both ended up telling us when we obviously got a lot older i was just like how did you let us leave the house? Like we were, you know, we had a very strict upbringing, but then I was even like thinking of the stuff that we did. And I'm like, wow. Like they told us stories that were like kind of out of like saw, like yeah. the gory, crazy stuff that they've seen. I'm just like, wow. And then you just kind of, and my mom was like, the hardest part was coming home and then just seeing you kids, like yeah, living a normal life. And I, I was just like, 
huh. I, I, I mean, I'm sure you see, yeah. I mean, car accidents and fires and coming home and, you know, seeing your family. Yeah. It's just that's, I'm sure you, I mean, have nightmares about this. I mean, that's, people don't even think about that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. you know, the emotional toll that takes on anybody who sees that kind of things that, the normal person does not see in everyday life. No, and it sticks with you. It does. Anyone that says that they're unaffected or they're, you know, they're really tough, it's not the truth or they just maybe, maybe it hasn't boiled to the surface yet. Right. But like there's, you know, there's ways to deal with it. Like for me, I always, I'm pretty empathic. Right. I feel really like spiritually connected to people in their homes. Right. So my biggest thing is like trying to put a shield up to like protect myself but you really can't, especially when you watch people die or they die in your arms. And, uh, you know, you got to put it. I always put it in a place in my back of my head. I imagine like a treasure chest. Right. And I put a big padlock on it and I can access it anytime I want. And I'll go home and I'll, you know, have a little cry or light a candle. And that's how I try to deal with it. And then, you know, one day in therapy, I'll just break down and have a big cry. And I don't know why I'm so sad, but... <laughs> It's trauma. It's right. It's you're not supposed to see these things, let alone multiple times a shift or a week. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it, it definitely creeps up on you. And I think like, you know, one of the reasons I do this podcast is I really want to talk about mental health and destigmatizing it, that it's a dirty word because we're all affected mm -hmm. and in different ways. And it you we all need help, whether it's reading or just being able to talk about it or going to therapy. And therapy's great. Everybody should go to therapy. That's right. I mean, honestly, I think the <laughs> majority of having girlfriends is just uh, sometimes it feels like the blind leading the blind, but at least you just get it all out there. You're like, girl, listen to this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's just it's just saying it. It's, you don't even really need anyone to give you advice just hearing things out loud really changes perspective oh yeah so. you just release like it just the weight falls off of you just by talking about something so why wrestling oh my gosh it literally is the earliest childhood recollection i have in my life yeah, really? I can't tell you what the first match was I saw. It's just been yeah. in my life, my entire life. I definitely had an older brother who watched it. So obviously I probably just joined in at one moment. But yeah, it's been my all-time favorite thing since I was four years old. Okay. And, you know, the middle of the Monday Night Wars. And yeah. it just never went. My parents, it's a phase, it's a phase, it's a phase. <laughs> and then uh, sure. the whole life later, it's just, it's like my first love. It really is. I fell in love. And it's funny because growing up in Detroit, I was obsessed with WCW. Of course. So, and then we moved to Atlanta when yeah. I was six years old and that was where it was. So yeah. I just even got 10 times more excited and I was just obsessed. It was like my escape, essentially. I don't think yeah. many people escape to watch people beat people up, but <laughs> it was 110% just my escape. And I didn't even know, I didn't even really pay attention to the women even remotely on the show, I was just... Oh, interesting. I was only drawn to, like, the big hot angles, honestly. You yeah, know, yeah. watching Goldberg beat up the NWO and Sting propel down from the rafters. I mean, it was just, you know, it was just... I was glued to the TV. And, of course, I'd always get sent to bed. <laughs> yeah. And uh, my grandpa would, like, record stuff so I could, like, rewatch it Aww. and send me, like, VHS tapes and stuff. And 
yeah, I was just, I was hooked instantly. And I can't even tell you, I couldn't even tell you my first match was when, you know, Hogan beat, you know, yeah. this person. I can't because it's just, it's so ingrained in my memory. I've always watched it. I was going to say, you know, six years old you're talking about. Like most of us are watching like Care Bears and yeah. you were you were about wrestling. So you're really a, a full life fan. Yeah, 110%. Like I, I remember watching Bill Goldberg in the Georgia Dome beat Hulk Hogan for the belt. And the crazy thing is, is like, I remember the first time going to the Georgia Dome for a cheerleading competition. Yeah. And we were like standing on the 50 yard line, like waiting to go out to compete. My first thought was not, I'm going to go and compete in front of thousands of people. My first thought was like, this is where they put the ring. Like that, you know, all these years later, that's still what I think in the back of my mind, like the the ring was right here and everyone was standing all around and you know, that's. You were probably the only cheerleader that was like. I love wrestling. I literally Goldberg was literally came to high school with like Jeff Hardy shirts on and John Cena shirts on, and and I was the captain of the cheerleading squad. And everyone's like, my mom, my mom's just like, that just looks so weird, but it was me. And you know, my phase, yeah, never left. It was just what I loved my whole life. I like it. So you're a true misfit. You live the American dream head cheerleader yeah you were doing athletics you went to college or university mm-hmm. uh was it for fitness as well like kinesiology I did I I wish looking back now I wish but I had a very successful college career I went to school for sports broadcasting oh good for you and I got to be the first ever sports broadcaster female for our division one hockey team get out so I my dad was a hockey player growing up he did like oh, minor wow. leagues and stuff before yeah. he became a cop and uh, so hockey was pretty relevant in our family, yeah. you know, growing up in Detroit, it's hockey, hockey town. Yep. I can't say that to people in Canada. No, be, no, no, no. Uh, but, you know, we're original six. We're very similar. I get it. Yeah. Hockey town. You know, I always loved it. And I really wanted to go super far away yeah. when I left for college because everyone just stays okay. like everybody, everybody <laughs> like just chills in that area. And I was like, I'm leaving. Good for you. And... I just loved sports so much and I knew I wanted to get into sports and I knew cheerleading wasn't going to get me to that level because it just like there's a plateau. Okay. Uh, If you're not the tiny little girl that they throw up in the air. Yeah. College cheerleading, you just have to be the best like Olympic level and that was not me. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to just this is it for me right here. (laughs) Good for you for being able to identify that though and not having an ego about it. Yeah, yeah, I knew. Well, oh, I knew. Uh, especially in the South, cheerleading is, like, oh, so competitive. Right. I mean, you know, saying this now seems horrible, but it's just the way of life down there. Like, I had yeah. a tanning bed package at the age of 12 years old. Holy shit. Like, we were, like, I have naturally super curly, curly, like, I have a lion's mane. Wow. I've always straightened my hair since that age, because that kind of curly hair is not in. Like, you have to do the barrel rod curls, you right. know, and all that stuff. So, like, getting used to that culture I guess you could say like is like ingrained in you a little bit so when I went up to the north for college I was like okay I'm literally kind of like shelving that life I had yeah and I'm really wanting to because I thought okay I'm gonna pursue it and I'm gonna be really serious about it and I just met all the right people at the right time and I did so much research and watched so much hockey growing up that I wanted to say if I wanted to do this I was gonna know everything about it right people aren't gonna question why I want to do this yeah and uh, I did just kind of like interning and any like a gopher, go for this, go for that. I was that person. Yeah. And uh, it led up to me being a uh, game day producer for our Division Two football team. Wow. 
if people don't know what that is, it's in charge of all the game day functions. So I'm in charge of the video board, the PA announcer, the band, the mascot, the cheerleading team, the dance team, the opposite team, and when everything goes. So I have like a script like this big and I'm on a radio with athletic directors, assistants, and stuff like that. And I'm essentially everyone's mom. Go, stop, do this, don't go, this, play this. Wow. And I was really, really honored at the fact because when you tell people, oh, I worked for a Division Two football team, people are like, whatever. Our Division Two football team was incredible. I went to a place called Fair State University. Okay. It's about three hours north of Chicago. Okay. So right there on uh, Lake Michigan. Yep. And um, our quarterback, he got the Highland Hill Trophy two years in a row, which is equivalent to the Heisman. Wow. And then he ended up breaking um, the all-time rushing records yeah. during one of our games. And the minute it happened, we had to stop the game. We had ESPN calling us, Sports Center, uh, you name it. Because he, you know, it, it's not Cam Newton, it's not Tim Tebow, it was our quarterback. Wow. So we just had the craziest amount of, you name it, every major network around Michigan, Big Ten, even though we weren't in the Big Ten, we were Division Two. Yeah. But everyone wanted to see that kind of record be broken. So I was really lucky to be, and a couple of those guys that I've got to interview, I did the Aaron Andrews thing with them too, went down on the field, and which is way less glamorous at Division II college, you know, like okay. we're in the middle of nowhere, Ohio, <laughs> with like five jackets on and a hat, and then you keep the microphone in like a newspaper bag oh so it God. doesn't get wet, and then you're on like a little, you know, headphone set that has like a 10 to 15 second live delay from the live feed, so I'm like, wow, I hope I don't talk about something they literally just talked about, and then you just go and interview the coach or a player, wow. and you know... Definitely not that level at that level, you know. When you see in the NFL, they're reading off the teleprompter. They got the tent right. over them. No, no weather's really affecting them for the most part. They have like a whole thing of notes. And then, you know, me, I'm like looking up at like a little <laughs> tiny press box and they'll wave like a little colored piece of paper. I'm like, okay, I'm live and throw hats <laughs> off. And it's a very different life. <laughs> You say you're lucky, but girl, all I hear is that you were tenacious and you worked hard and you ran shit. Uh, yeah. Like that is an incredible story. Yeah, I loved it. I just, I anything I put my mind to, I just want to say I am going to be here because I know what I'm doing. You know, it's not, yeah. uh, especially when you like the sports world. I mean, and that bleeds right into professional wrestling as well. When I started doing the broadcasting for hockey, which wasn't play by play, I did not want to do that. I did not want to jumble up Russian last names and last names with 16 <laughs> syllables. And I just wanted to go in and talk to everybody and more have the conversational part of it. So I did all the press conferences and the, um, you know, in between the period interviews and I wanted to be Pierre Maguire for everyone who knows who that is. I wanted to be in the boards Everyone hates him, but oh, I wanted to so take cool. over his spot. That's That was my goal. and But I, I did run into a, a lot of positive and negative doing that. A lot of doubt. I bet. Because we, uh, at hockey, we were Division One, so we'd have all the big teams like okay. University of Wisconsin, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State. And uh, when this little right. girl, like, comes bopping in, like, and I always wore, I wore, like, six-inch high heels. I always, like, dressed really nice. Good like, I wanted to look like... What I would if I worked on TV. I always said, I always think like you get right. one chance to get, make a first impression. And I always wanted to, you know, represent my university at the best of my ability. And, you know, I ran into all that stuff, you know, like, oh, who's your dad? Uh, you know, my dad's a cop. Ugh. Why? He lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, wow. or, you know, who are you married to? Oh, I go to school here. But I always had, you know, 
I always had the, yeah, I always had the smart ass remarks in line, you know, and, you know, sitting there and watching guys come out like hand towels and you're just like, oh, whatever, like keep going. Like, I don't care. I've I've seen it, you know, let's go. Come on, keep it going. You know, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So (laughs) you run into a lot of that. But I mean, at the end of my career at my school, I was, I was very proud. There's so many women wanting to join the athletic department and honestly I have to say though it was really just like any career meeting the right people at the right time for sure I mean because I'm sure sure there was plenty of guys on that university campus that probably knew 10 times more about hockey than I did I mean granted I felt like I really knew my stuff but I'm sure there's guys who played their whole life and wanted to get into it but I really did meet the right people and you know I had to get approved from the head coach who'd been the head coach for 25 years I had to get approved by both athletic directors and one guy yep. was not a fan of women at all. It was very clear. But yeah, so I just felt like, you know, when I would talk and people go, wow, you really know what you're talking about. I would go, it's my job to know what I'm talking about. That's why I'm here. And it made me proud to have people that played their whole life be shocked by my knowledge. But at the same time, it's, it is my job to know what I was talking that about. That personality and that frame of mind that is going to get you wherever you want to go in life it is you don't have to smile when you're around men to please them you don't have to pretend to act like anything you're not you know your shit and you just you just keep rolling with it like you are light years beyond your age and your generation and i hope you just keep plugging away because big things are gonna happen oh thank you you. i really i really appreciate that my goal is always just prove people wrong i mean like like i said i wore six inch high heels and standing on a hockey ice rink and like the guys (laughs) that were in our television truck were always like you know we have a bet every year like when you're gonna eat shit and I was like, okay, how much is the bet? Because I have like four and I a half in. years of you guys paying me whatever <laughs> I didn't get. Because I've never fell, tripped, you know, slipped, nothing, you know, like not saying, hey, everyone go walk on ice and high heels because it's not easy. But no. I just wanted to say, hey, I'm going to do it. I'm going to look good doing it and I'm going to yeah. do it well. So that's yeah. why, uh, you know, and I, you know, tried to bleed all of that into being the best professional wrestler I can be because that at the end of the day, I want to be the best. I want people, like, I love, uh, Scott Hall said a line that I love it. It goes, you know, do you want to have dinner with me or do you want to be in the ring with me? And I just love that line because I want to be that person. You don't have to be my best friend and we don't have to be best friends, but I want you to want to be in that ring with me. And like that to me is just the best. I want to take everything that's culminated into my, you know, my life so far and just throw it into my wrestling ability and character and career honestly I think of being a wrestler as 100% a job it is and I feel like a lot of people especially in the indie scene at the moment they don't see it like that at all and it it kind of like I think the word professional comes in front of wrestler for a reason and a lot of people like take this and they go we don't need this and just like throw it in the trash and to me that kind of like the shit out of me girl it is a business right so you should always look the business you should always present why you belong to be there you can train a monkey to wrestle right really like the the actual sport part is like you know 10 percent. like you've got to be athletic or you've got to have a gimmick Mm -hmm. but all the rest is business connections is talking is being personable and likable and you know there's it's being a professional and that is just as integral if not more 
than the actual wrestling aspect of it. So you've got the right recipe brewing. <laughs> yeah, I you know, when I first started to do it, I was like, I had to test to see if I could do it first because it was still in this awkward time where it was more about the bikini contests. And mm-hmm. that's why it never crossed my mind. to. I loved it. And I just thought, I don't look like that. So clearly that's not going to happen for me. And like, I remember talking about it to my mom because she's like, why don't you just try to do it? And I like showed her like the pictures of like the total diva search Yeah. that they just submitted photos of them in like bathing suits and lingerie. And I was like, you know, 17 at the time. And I'm like, this is like how you get on the show, mom. And she's just like, oh, <laughs> so it's not about like beating people up. I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> So it was really hard for me to, I don't know, like, I guess dive into it because I loved it so much. And I was I was just afraid that it was going to, like, what I love so much was going to, like, break my heart because it was, like, mm. it seemed so unobtainable from, like, that, yeah. when that young age. Because I was, yeah. like, I'm not going to make it onto a diva search. I'm, like, you know, I... <laughs> I'm glad you didn't. I, well, I, you know, I live in reality. That wasn't the right time. Yeah, you know, I have a, a square-shaped body. I have, like, a SpongeBob SquarePants <laughs> shape to my physique, so I was, like, definitely, like, no torso, you know? I was, like, I'm not getting that through here's a bikini. Like, even today, like, I, I'm not a bikini person. I'm not going to the beach and doing all these photo shoots and... <laughs> You know, girls I know have OnlyFans and you could go and do that stuff all day long. But that's just, that's just not me. It's not me as a person. That's the beautiful thing about professional wrestling now, especially now. And the reason I came back is we are out of the Divas era. Don't get me wrong. There's always a place for that. Right. In entertainment. Right. But now women are characters. They're different shapes and sizes, mm-hmm. ethnicities, ages. It's it's a beautiful time right now in women's wrestling. So what is your ultimate goal? Is it to make wrestling your career? Do you have your eye on a company? What's, what's your ultimate goal? I would love for it to be 100% my full-blown career, can pay yeah. all my bills, have a contract. <laughs> I, I Honestly... I just want to be so well-rounded. I want to see the world through wrestling. Not just like, oh, I want to go to Greece with my girlfriend. No, I want to, like my big goal right now, like it's in the back of my mind, like 24-7 at the moment, I want to go to Europe and wrestle. I want to go to Germany. I would love to go to the UK, Japan. Yes, obviously everyone wants to do the TV and everyone wants the contract and everyone... But to me, I just want to learn. I want to be the best I can be. And I love watching certain cultures, how serious they take it. And they put like, you know, it's still entertainment, but they kind of put that on the back burner and really want you to just be so good at what you do. And uh, I want to be that person. I want to be that person that like, no matter what, I'm just like, I can... What do you want to do today? You want to do some lucha? You want to do some this and that? You know, I want to be just, I can pull out all my, you know, ability and, and stuff. traveling is the best education you can yeah. do for yourself as a person and as a wrestler. Like it, you are obviously very grounded oh, and you. very hardworking. However, when you go to a country where very few people speak the language and you have to learn how to put matches together. Yes. 
every wrestler has to do it to like to reach that next level. And you can always tell the wrestlers who did some time in Mexico and Japan. Right. You really can. And it doesn't mean that they're better than, but there's just a certain element of like fluidity and the ability to just kind of go with the flow. Mm-hmm. So I, I support that. I think that's the next best movement for you because you've already, you know, developed a little bit on the independence in North America. Mm-hmm. Girl, go travel. Like COVID is, you know, it's going to be what it is. But if you can travel, go do it. And that makes a name for you. Right. People know when you've traveled. And that means something to um, television promotions. And it makes you, you know, more of a commodity. Absolutely. And I think that kind of in the era that we're developing in wrestling right now with more companies having television or having a YouTube or having just more um, accessibility, like people can watch them. You can watch me here, you can watch me there. I think that old school like territory style of wrestling is just like dead. And I feel like that's how you learn what wrestling is, like getting to go places where, okay, maybe you don't get seen as much, but you learn 10 times more. For sure. Being in Florida, I am lucky that I have worked with a few people from Mexico, uh, from Chile, Mm -hmm. from Puerto Rico, and their English was very spotty. So like you said, it was a lot of like just following people's leads, a lot of reading body language, kind of like thumbs up, eye, you know, just making eye (laughs) contact you know having a translator a little bit like to put things together but then like when they left you're just kind of like yeah fun time you know just come on yeah and uh man that's all I want to be just that's what I want I want to learn so much and I feel like you know the glass ceiling's always there and yeah girl to get better you have to wrestle women who are better than you and I feel like so many opportunities now so many women are getting signed or better contracts and and it they're almost hey, wait for me. Like you want to be able to work with them and learn from them, but they're at a place where they're untouchable for certain people. For sure. So I feel like being able to go to these places and be able to talk to so many girls, not only, you know, listen to their stories and listen to what they've been through, but learn from them because, you know, UK wrestling and world of sport and the way they were taught and trained, it's so serious and very, you know, chain forward, but God, it looks like it hurts the... Like, you just watch them, you're just like, I think they just died. Like, (laughs) they all wear no knee pads, and I watch, and I'm just like, rip your knees. Oh, my God. I don't know how you do it. I just watch it. I'm like, oh, my knee. But just watch. I just want... I just want to get... Like, when you watch it, it just motivates you so much more. For sure. For sure. And I guess, you know, at the end of the day, no matter what, like, wrestling to me wasn't about, like total divas or the reality shows and to me even if there was no tv and wrestling was like the territory days where you just worked mid-south and then you went to you know world class or whatever i would still be a wrestler if there was no tv for wrestling i would still be a wrestler because i've just loved it that much that's very cool i don't think a lot of people would say that so yeah Okay, so let's wrap things up. I like to end every episode with my 10 tailor-made questions. All right. It's kind of like a speed round, but don't feel rushed in your answers. Okay. Okay, what is one beauty product you cannot live without? Does it have to be something I own or I go to use it all the time? You pick your poison. Okay, South Beach tanning spray tan. (laughs) Nice. Love it. And much healthier than tanning beds. That's right, yes. (laughs) What is your favorite exercise? kettlebell swings your biggest pet peeve 
egos. <laughs> what is your favorite band or artist? Probably he's an R and B singer. His name's Somo. Somo. Yeah, it's okay. definitely a very uh, like early two thousands R and B kind of style. Is that yeah. is that your happy sort of uh, music? Is nineties? Yeah, R&B? very uh, like um, windows down, kind of just driving. Nice, like the road, Cruising. all the road tripping because drive a lot <laughs> to get to shows. So yeah. that that chill kind of vibe is what I listen to a lot. Yeah, I like it. Okay, do you have a secret vice like drinking a glass of wine in the shower? Yeah, I can't. I can't really think of one at the moment. I'm sure I'm very awkward, so I'm sure I do a lot of things. <laughs> okay, we'll move on. What wrestler has the best entrance music? Oh man, that's so hard. <laughs> There's so many. It's really. I can't believe this is the one I'm picking. But this, like, the minute it hits, it's such a mood. And he didn't get to use it for too long. But Scott Steiner's, uh, when he was in, when he came to Raw for yeah. the first time, he had like the sirens. And yes. like the holla if you hear me. Yeah. I just thought that was so freaking cool. It just I, was such a vibe. Yeah. And you knew who it was. Yeah. Like that yeah. entrance music when you know within like the first second. Yeah. I feel like that's I mean, and the there's shit. so many. I mean, like I loved Goldberg growing up with the security and the Yes. The fact that he took like legit stock music and made it some of the most popular and then Stone Cold with the glass breaking and the yeah. rock. I mean I mean there's I honestly so many, but for that for some reason that one really popped in my head. What is your drink of choice? cold brew coffee nice yeah you florida yeah. girl you gotta have your caffeine you're not gonna yes. be drinking hot coffee there it's pretty rare yeah. <laughs> what has been your most embarrassing moment in the ring oh yikes i accidentally said the f word i was like what the oh, fuck girl. and that one was pretty i felt really bad I got, like i said i cuss all the time that is not bad but i was really embarrassed just because i felt like you know, family friendly show. Here's just like the bitchy blonde girl telling someone to go fuck themselves. You're but such a sweetheart. I uh, so many wrestling hey, shows where I don't hear an f bomb. Yeah, well, yeah. There's a lot now, but this was probably about four years ago. I felt okay. so bad, oh. but that was like the most like horrifying one. Oh, I did have a. Whew, this is a real throwback. I had a snap, like outfit like where oh, you just no. like like a one piece yeah yeah Whew. i like as an idiot because this is what girls do because we're like i don't care if i'm in pain yeah. but i'm not gonna like expose myself <laughs> i like put like safety pins in that area to make oh, sure it stayed clamped no. and i like stabbed myself so that one sucked but my partner in the ring at that time helped me do it. So she kind of almost gave me like a full pelvic exam to help me make sure that my outfit was together. <laughs> so she was real cool about it. No safety pins in wrestling. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. Ever. That was that was uh, very, very beginning of wrestling where I'm like, I don't know how people do this. I still don't know how people do stuff like way girls hide pantyhose on TV. Yeah. I don't know how to do that. Double-sided because, tape, honestly. Oh, my God. It's still the worst tape. with me. Glue sticks and double-sided tape. Like hot glue? No, no, no. Like little, no. like, glue just sticks that glue you sticks. use in school. Yeah. I was always a double-sided tape girl, but, like, that comes with its own set of issues. Like, you're not going to skewer yourself, like, uh, but you do wax areas. I, I waxed some of my nipple off once. Oh, um, wow. But, but no one saw it on TV, so it's right. like, you know, you just, you, you got to figure out what's more important. 
I know those are the mysteries. I sit there and look and I'm like, why can't I see anyone's pantyhose? And they're every, you know, ringside photo. I'm just like, I look like I'm being cut in half. What the hell? Like half these photos I get, I'm like, thanks so much for them. Just burying them in the back because I can't post this. You'll get there. It's fine. We'll figure it out for you. I know. It's all these things. Like guys don't have to think about this stuff. They just no. spray some stuff and. And you know out. what? If a ball comes out, they're not really embarrassed. No. No. How many times like, have you seen ooh. how many wrestlers' butts when they go to oh, yeah. hold the tights? And yeah. it's just like, here, here you go. And, no and they never spray excited. tan their butt. No. They never spray tan their butt. It's no. always white. Yeah. I'm just... It's like it glows in the dark. Yeah. yeah. Fun facts, guys. Spray tan everything. Yeah. yeah. Spray tan everything. Everything. Okay. Where can people find you on the interwebs? Oh, absolutely. So uh, my Instagram is marina marina 25 uh, I have a Facebook fan page, Marina Tucker, and then my Twitter is bookmarina25, and I will be very mean on there, so just everyone know. <laughs> well, and then you. if you're on my Instagram, you'll see my Disney-obsessed self Perfect. a lot. <laughs> okay, finish this lyric. Let me take you to a place nice and quiet. Ain't no one there to interrupt. Oh my god, I think I failed. I just wanna take it nice and slow. It's Usher. Oh crap! <laughs> it's also my bad singing that really throws people off. Well, I should know this because I love, <laughs> like, love that style of music. I think I'm gonna start getting music like put over it because I feel like I really throw people <laughs> off with not being able to hold on to a tune. But you did not fail. Oh it's man, no, girl, it's not. I'm just sitting there like. <laughs> Well, Marina's got an interesting story, and she's an absolute sweetheart. One of the reasons I started this podcast was to shed light on the up-and-coming females in this business. You never know who the next big star is, and I want to be the first one to bring you their intimate story and how it's translated into the professional wrestling world. Thank you for tuning in to Wild On Weekly, where we get wild on Wednesdays. You're always going to get something a little different from Wild On than any other professional wrestling podcast on the internet today. I could not do this, and I would not want to do this, without my badass punk rock girl band, the Wild On team. Editor and producer, Michelle Duras, Madison Golshani, my marketing queen, and our new member, our sound engineer, Matteo Seza from Superkick Studios. Thank you guys. I love you. And until next week, stay calm and wild on. Wild.